0: because I tell you what, life is short and you don't know when your last day is. And I can honestly say that if I was gone tomorrow, I have lived my life now in the last five years more intensely than I have done for many years before then. If there's one thing I truly wish is that more people, especially women, could see their value and would be bold enough and daring enough to actually understand that there's an amazing life waiting for them. You just have to be bold enough to let go of what you've got right now. I mean, I got rid of 95% of my life and bought a van and
1: that's it. You know, that's my life.
2: This is the Travel and Van Life podcast from Jets into the Sunset.
1: We're Tanya and Adam, and this is the podcast where we talk all things travel, adventure, and road trips.
2: Through our experience and with conversations with others, who like us have chosen an alternative lifestyle?
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Travel Adventure and Road Trips podcast. I'm Adam with a very nasally voice, and over there, you're Tanya
2: with a non-nasally voice, a hopefully.
1: Non- <laughs> non-nasally voice, but you're in the wars in your own way, aren't you? You, well, how's your foot? Uh,
2: well, yesterday we went swimming and uh i stood on a sea urchin for the first time in my life so i've got about 15 what Our little needles, sea urchin yeah. needles in my foot had to end up going to the doctors. They couldn't get them out. It's been a whole thing. I'm fine limping a little bit.
1: But they're not poisonous. That's the most important yes,
2: thing. Yes, that's actually a good thing to know. Because I think if we were in Australia, it would be a whole different story. It's higher
1: likelihood of bumping into a, uh, a, a poisonous one, isn't it?
2: Exactly. But we're here in Bali and um, they're fine. And yeah. I'm fine and live to survive it. And we've had a wonderful week. I actually wanted to ask you what the highlight of your week was because I survived a sea urchin. What was yours?
1: What what, was that your highlight? Surviving the sea urchin.
2: (laughs) Well, I had lots of (laughs) highlights, but you know that happened
1: yesterday, and and
2: it's Sunday, so I think we should wrap up the week with. Okay, my
1: highlight. My highlight of the week was Ubud. We went to Ubud for four days, and it's just an absolutely stunning place. We've fallen in love with it. Um, more so we, we always fall in love with places that we visit, but I think Ubud has taken our falling in love with places to the next level. And what it's is just...
2: Ubud?
1: Ubud, sorry. Ubud, for those of you who don't know, is a town in Bali, a little cultural hub of Bali. It's got striking little streets. There are some lovely walks that you can do. Everything's really close. It feels like, and this is the thing in general, actually, about Bali. It feels like it's got the perfect mix of its authenticity and the tourism so tourism has just fit in really nicely here from our point of view anyway it doesn't feel over tourists even though that was the one thing i was worried about it was gonna be over touristy but it's really not it's still the people are so authentic and lots of the people who have come over here as tourists actually live here so they're kind of like integrated so it's kind of like being in a city that's got people from all over the world in. That's what it feels like, but it's not a city. It's a beautiful tropical place. And um, more
2: locals than anything else.
1: Yeah, more locals than than tourists, but it's also like a hub of international people who are all here enjoying themselves. So it's a really nice energy. It's not like horrible tourist energy that you can sometimes get in, in places. It's Amazing. Anyway, I'm going on for, for ages about this, um, but
2: but you loved it because oh. we've been out shooting lots, and we feel really inspired to to just to make films again in different places, and we're really excited to share them in our upcoming YouTube film. So yeah,
1: absolutely, and that is it. Actually, I didn't really finish the intro. We're Tanya and Adam, YouTubers filmmakers and podcasters.
2: Yeah, that's us.
1: Um, So who are we interviewing today, Tanya? It's a great episode.
2: Yeah, we absolutely loved this one. So this week, we sat down with author and van lifer Dot Beckett, who in 2018, achieved her dream by driving 20,000 kilometers through 18 West African countries over eight and a half months on her own for most of the journey. And um, I don't think we would have been brave enough to have taken on a trip like
1: this in Jits. No, absolutely not. Our van Jits, is 1998, which is the same age as Dot's Ford Transit, Bluebell. Two-wheel drive, old van. We, yeah, that the idea of taking Jits to Africa is just not even something I'd consider. But that is effectively what Dot did. Dot took an old 1998 van down West Africa.
2: Yeah, in her 60s and mostly by herself, which mm. is... Absolutely incredible. So, off the back of that trip, we have this conversation with Dot where she shares her stories from the road, also her learnings, her insights, and overall is a very inspiring conversation so we're really excited to share that with you
1: yeah but but before we get into it i just want to say that she has a lot of non-for-profits she does a lot of charity work down in africa and we will leave a link to all of that in the show notes so once you've done with the episode if you want to go check that out and help her and see how you can support her then we'll leave a link to her website
2: Yep. And as I mentioned, she's also a published author and I've loved reading her book. Cannot recommend it enough. The book is called Going Home to Africa. So we will also leave the link to that in the show notes so that you can read her full story. It's really well written. Lots of humor. Very emotional. So yeah. And a shout out and a big thank you to John for putting us in touch with John is one of our YouTube subscribers. He's also a podcast listener. And we actually met John back in Portugal when we were traveling there at the very beginning of our own van life journey. And we've been in touch ever since. So, huge shout out to John. And I think this is just a reminder if you know someone that has an incredible story, please get in touch with us because. We would love to we would love to find out about them and, and maybe have them on the show.
1: Yeah, we're always looking for great guests. And the important thing to note is they don't have to have big social media followings. Mm-hmm. Like we we don't want to just champion people who've already got a big following. It's just that's that just happens to be the people that we find most often because obviously they've got a followings, they've got a presence, so we find them. So we're looking for people who aren't necessarily on social media just as much. So yeah, please do let us know. And without further ado, here's our conversation with the Force of nature that is Dot.
2: Dot is in the house, and I'm so excited because I can see you here through uh, the, the, the screen, and I can tell that you are in your camper van, Bluebell, and yeah, you're in a very interesting and unique place. So, so tell us about it, and welcome to the podcast.
0: Well, thank you very much for letting me join you today, and and to 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 bore you ad nauseum with my tale of of travels. <laughs> I love telling people about what I did. I, I I still sometimes wonder, gee, did I actually do that? Uh, yes, I'm I'm in Bluebell, <laughs> and I am in Zimbabwe the whole purpose of my journey was to return home. Um, so it's called going home to Africa. It should have been called going home to Zimbabwe, but it was an awfully long word, you know, sort of <laughs> title. So it was just called going, my journey was just called going home to Africa because that's what I was doing. I, I was born and raised in Zimbabwe. And and I felt, you know, I, I, I've been living outside of Africa for over 20 years. And I really just felt like it was a homecoming, not only to my country, but to to the continent as a whole.
1: That kind of leads me on a little bit to the next question, which is your motivation. Uh, A question that we always like to ask people who voluntarily will take on massive challenges like you have, is why? You were at a time in your life where you were going through lots of changes. You quite recently ended a 22 year long marriage so you were maybe a bit of a crossroads looking for a change but why why overland africa what was your motivation for taking on such a massive expedition
0: i really have no idea ignorance took me a long way (laughs) it it was it wasn't a suddenly aha moment it was um i had sort of given notice on my marriage. And I said, I'm taking three months to pack up my stuff and then I'm leaving. And in that time, you know, as soon as I'd made that decision and I'm kind of the person that, you know, once I come to a hard decision, that's it. I also frightened the hell out of myself. Um, So it was something like, oh my hell, what the heck am I doing? Oh, (laughs) gee, you know, now what? I'd had some health problems and we'd had all sorts of issues. And so there was no money. And Mm -hmm. as a business coach, (laughs) it wasn't very particularly good. But as a business coach, you kind of ask people, so if money wasn't an object, what would you do? Mm -hmm. And actually money wasn't an object because I had none. So literally (laughs) left the whole landscape available to me of, you know, okay, so if I was to choose to do anything, what would I do? And I, I very quickly came to the decision that I'm not European. I may be Caucasian. But I'm not European. I've lived in in six countries on two continents. I've lived in Zimbabwe. I've lived in South Africa, UK, Portugal, Luxembourg, and Spain. I just didn't fit in in Europe. You know, no matter where I went, you know, the language was a problem, or the culture was a problem. And even in even though my my upbringing was, although I'm not of, of British parents, I'm of Dutch parents. Um, my, my upbringing was very colonial. Um, I didn't belong in England either. So. I just thought, you know what, I want to go home to the, the warmth of Africa, the warm sun and the warm people. And and then I, I thought, okay, so, you know, uh, while I haven't really got enough money to, to just jet over, I've got enough money to get there. But then what do I do when I get there and where do I live?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I had done some overlanding in Europe um, with my ex-husband, but he chose a really huge Ford that was eight meters long and two and a half meters wide so it was huge oh and i thought hey you know i i love that lifestyle he hated it but i loved it and i thought well i could get something that i can park in that parking space i can do that you anyway, know so i thought wow if i if i could have a van i could live in my van when i get to zimbabwe and then i thought hey why not drive through Zimbabwe? Not even thinking about the fact that it probably cost me like ten times more to get to Zimbabwe by <laughs> car. But you know, I didn't have that money either. But it 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 came. You know, I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm. When you read my book, you'll you'll understand that I'm a great believer that the universe provides, provided that we have absolute certainty that it you know it will. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, that kind of ticks a whole lot of boxes for me because I I will be driving through Africa. I also felt like I needed I actually had to do some kind of journey to to after 22 years of marriage that was increasingly upsetting and increasingly disturbing and increasingly unhappy uh, I just I needed to find myself again I didn't know who I was you know I'd been in this relationship so Mm -hmm. I really needed to find out who I was and I thought well doing a long journey like that will do that Mm. I wanted to I had a having met more closely and and made more african friends in europe than i had in africa because you know Africa's just the, southern africa is the strange um cultural place it, it piqued my interest in what the rest of africa was like and i i always say it's fine to criticize something but you better know what the hell you're criticizing and mm-hmm. um there's a lot of criticism about africa and certainly i can say a lot of, of negative things about africa too but I thought, you know, I, I want to see what the rest of Africa is like. I want to see what what I'm, what is going on in, in Africa. What is really, you know, the, the case there? So it kind of ticked that box as well. And I, I, I'm i a big risk taker. I am a restless spirit. So probably you can tell by living in six countries and two countries. <laughs> um, and, and, and so this kind of ticked all my boxes. And quite frankly, everybody, and I wanted to do it, I was coming up to my 60th birthday, and I thought, hey, here's a milestone. For my 60th birthday, I want to celebrate it in Africa. And I literally had four days to go, <laughs> and I celebrated my 60th birthday in Morocco. So my, my message to most people is, you know, it's never too late to change. Uh, it's never too late to, to get a hold of your life. And I certainly, absolutely do not regret having done it.
2: I love that there's so many themes that you've touched upon there from the, once once you experience fan life and it kind of, you get the bug, it's something that you carry all throughout your life. It might not be something you do for forever, but you had experienced it in a much bigger vehicle, a monster vehicle before. But it was your frame of reference of knowing like, oh, it's really nice living with your, you know, your tiny home on wheels and allowing yourself to to travel wherever you please and all the freedoms that come with van life and also the challenges as well. Obviously, it's much more challenging when you're traveling in a smaller van like Bluebell and doing the expedition that you did, but it definitely sounded like it, it inspired you and prepared you for it. And before we we talk about the actual trip itself, we really want to talk about the challenge that came before the, the journey. And I want to start off by um, quoting a, a paragraph from your book about the build process, because You built out, Bluebell, and you wrote. There were days when I wondered what on earth I was trying to do. I couldn't do this. I had no skills as a carpenter. I hated it. I cried, kicked things, I swore, I cried some more, but I continued, realizing that no one else would do it for me. I kept telling myself that if I wanted a home and if I wanted to drive home, I simply had to do this. And I think anyone listening who has built out a van before will know and be able to relate to the fact that there is always a journey before the journey, especially with a van built. And if this expedition wasn't going to bring off uh, enough challenges, Bluebell is a 1998 Ford Transit that you picked up for, I think it was £1,700. No bells, no whistles, and it wasn't a four by four. So... The question is, how did you prepare Bluebell for this trip of a lifetime to to Africa?
0: Um, I don't know. You know, I'm, I just kind of, yeah. I look back and I really, I really think that I don't know. Some guardian angel was kind of floating me along through this process. Because quite frankly, if I think about it now, it's like. Really? So I give the reasons in the book about why I chose Bluebell. Firstly, I couldn't afford a four by four, and so that was out of the question. And then I looked for the strongest possible van that wouldn't give me would give me the least amount of problems. And it, it turned out that this model of of van, apart from the fact that this parts are hardly available in Africa, <laughs> was, <laughs> was actually. You know, just had so much going for it. Um, so some of the things that I really needed to, to, I really wanted in a in a vehicle were, I wanted it to. It needed to be diesel because the fuel in Africa is known to be varied and and not always of great quality. And um, a diesel engine will suck it up, so to say. <laughs> I I wanted it to be higher off the ground than a normal vehicle would be. Um, so that I had better clearance so she she ticks that box I mean she's not as high as some but she's higher than most I I, I it, what I couldn't afford four by four so that was out of the question um, I wanted one of the big things that I needed was I wanted to be able if I was in bed uh, and I was sleeping or whatever have you or I felt unsafe or something happened I wanted to be able to get from the back of the van into the front of the van without getting out of the van um, mm-hmm. I, I always think that one of the biggest vulnerabilities for women specifically is, and for anybody really, is if you're faced in a challenging situation, getting out of your van is, is the most vulnerable place that you can be. And and I can honestly say that in all the time that I was traveling, I think I probably only twice kind of thought, mm, i I just don't. You you learn to trust your instincts, number one. But, mm-hmm. um, mm, this isn't safe. I I, I and I, I would just get you know in my pajamas, get in the front seat, just drive until I found a place that I felt I felt was right. So so those were were things that were were pretty, and it had to be a mechanical engine. You know, I couldn't see myself in the middle of that in the bush in Africa with finding somebody with a laptop and internet signal <laughs> to check what is wrong with my vehicle. You know, so that was definitely out of the question. Um, so a mechanical engine was, was one of the other the things. So I, I was looking for a unicorn when I started out and I ended up with a donkey, but she's the best donkey I've ever had.
1: <laughs> That's great. And, and what what did you do in terms of like, do you have solar panel? How do you do your electricity? Like, did you put water tanks in? What What's Bluebell like in terms of facilities? What do you have in the van, if you could describe for people listening who have not seen the van?
0: Okay. Um, so as a woman, unequivocally, you need a toilet. Don't, mm-hmm. don't even think about anything else. You need to have a toilet. You know, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> but there were instances when I had eaten salad in places where I shouldn't have eaten salad. And, <laughs> and in the middle of the night, I'm telling you that toilet was the best thing on earth. Um, <laughs> Solar, absolutely. And I only have, um, I didn't know a lot about solar, but I did a lot of research. So I have a monocrystalline panel. Uh, I have a semi-flexible monocrystalline panel on top of my roof. It starts charging the moment it gets light. It charges in rain, gray, whatever you like. It's always charging. Mm. Uh, So I have a 150-watt solar panel on the roof and a 150-amp-hour gel battery. And that works a charm. And I, the only thing, and I, I manage my whole life with very few electrical requirements. So I have mm-hmm. a an inverter, so I can change from AC to DC, you know, from uh, from DC to AC. Sorry, I always get that wrong way around. Uh, so I can <laughs> convert my solar battery power into um, 220. And, you know, that's a bonus. So I can charge my laptop. I can charge my my a couple of small devices that i have but i'm very cautious about you know if it if it doesn't do you know just a very low wattage then it doesn't fit in my van end of story and i do without and you know there are many ways that we did these things before gadgets came along so uh, i use those in terms of water i had water storage i have uh, a fresh water a 23 liter fresh water tank and a 23 liter grey water tank that sit under a sink that kind of fit quite neatly together are kinda of upright mm-hmm. and they were easy, they got double handles. So bear in mind I'm an old woman and I and I have back <laughs> problems. So I needed to be able to lift these things. So I had to very carefully consider what kind of containers I got. And I have to say that the things that I used least in the van were the sink and the and the two water containers. <laughs> <laughs> Cause You know, if you're camping or you you find somewhere, you get a bucket of water and you wash your dishes. You know, you wash Mm -hmm. yourself if necessary and then wash the dishes. That's pretty much as technical as my van gets. I have a a vent in the middle of the van uh, and that's it. You know, I have a, a USB fan, which was I have several which were invaluable because it was so hot. Uh, and they I, they would blow all night on me, um, so the solar power battery was was tremendous. It was your air conditioning. That was my air conditioning. Yes, because I also the only air con- I have Africa air conditioning, which means you have to unwind the windows. You know, you have to open the windows. That's it. <laughs> and that's about as technical as it got. You know, that's that's it. That's all I have.
1: That's amazing. I mean, it sounds like absolutely everything you need, and that is. The best thing about van life, of course. Yeah,
0: I have a gas cooker, so um, I have a little camping stove that's on top of a, a counter in my, in, and I, I, you know, make my tea and my meals with two plates and a little grill in the middle. The grill in the middle, super important. I have to tell you because there are times when you really want toast, and this will do toast. So, um, yeah, that's it. I, I think you know. I think people, <laughs> when I look at what other people, you know, I I met some uh, Spanish people. And they had spent like fifty thousand euros just equipping out this van. And I was like, "Holy hell, What mm. the hell have you got in there?" Um, so I think people can really go overboard and but you know, it's if you've got the money, fantastic. You know, go spend it. Do you, I mean, even my my tap is a hand pump, you know, on my on my basin. The one thing I know from having overlanded through Europe was, The more electric and electronic things that you have, the more things can go wrong. So I remember people in campsites in Europe couldn't get out of their van because the step wouldn't, the automatic little step switch wouldn't dropped the step so they were like stranded in their van they couldn't get out of their van and, and it, you know ridiculous things like that and i was like so i have a drop down step which came with um Bluebell. so that's that's even you know makes it easier because she was a disability community ambulance sort of thing so yeah i think m- keeping it simple is really what overlanding is for about me uh, for me mm-hmm. you know i i know people have want all the bells and whistles and whatever have you just more stuff to maintain, look after, you know, worry about, et cetera. I mean, I got rid of 95% of my life and, and bought a van and that's it. You know, that's my life.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is the incredible thing about vans is that you, you don't have to, you can spend as much as you like or as little as you like, relatively speaking. But at the end of the day, as long as you've you've done it well, and you have everything you need with you, then that is the beauty of living in a van is you've got all the basics and you realise how little you actually need once you move into a van. You just tick those boxes that you just mentioned. A little bit of basic electricity, a little bit of water, a little cooker. And then, of course, you've got your shelter and you've got your transport all And your toilet. And your toilet, of course. Sorry, very <laughs> toilet, important. How could I forget the toilet? Ladies,
0: whatever they say, <laughs> men will say, no, you don't need a toilet. That's because they can go outside, you know, and they're not... I, I mean, I'm not afraid of nature and I can certainly go outside, but I have to tell you the convenience of having a toilet on board, I, priceless, as they say.
1: I'd have to say, even as a man, I am team toilet, definitely. I, I think that having a toilet, we've got a, our van, I don't know if you've seen our van, but Jits has got even a little wet room. So we've got a little shower and a little toilet and a little sink in a, in a tiny corner of the van. And I can't imagine having a van without that now that I've had a van with that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I would have loved to have had a shower, but I i didn't have the space for it. And that meant yeah. putting in pumps and all sorts of stuff that I was just way too complicated for me. Plus the fact yeah. that I now, I mean I, I now I live on on this rural land and and I just step outside and get a bucket of water and undress and wash you know hello nature you know so it, it's great <laughs> so I'm very used to bucket washes now
1: perfect so I'd love to talk a little bit about the logistics of van life in Africa because we don't often speak to people who have overlanded Africa most people have done Europe they've done America but I imagine that Africa is a different kettle of fish in a lot of ways. So it'd be great to hear about the logistics. Like, where do you sleep? And how do you find resources like your water? Um, And where do you empty your resources? Like, how does it work? Because obviously, Europe is very set up for van life. And I don't imagine maybe that Africa is, but maybe I'm wrong.
0: (laughs) It is certainly exceptionally different. Um, A lot of people say to me, you know, what campsites did you use? I'm like, you know, so I wrote some articles for a magazine in South Africa and, and the guy started off with, yeah, yeah, but what campsite did you use? You know, what campsites did you use? I was like, none. Mm. <laughs> I was like, well, not, not none, but very few. So, wow, you know, a, a campsite is, is something that you don't really find in... And remember, I traveled West Africa, so I can't speak Mm. for the whole of Africa. Certainly once you get to Angola and Namibia, certainly once you hit Namibia and Botswana, South Africa, Zimbabwe, there are campsites. But most of the other places, there wasn't. Uh, So I I used an app that I'm sure all overlanders know now is called Mm iOverlander, which was invaluable. So... You know, it would be uh, parking at a a hotel, motel. Uh, Some of them are very dubious. But, you know, if they sold rooms by the hour, as long as I didn't have to be involved, that was fine. Um, (laughs) They, You know, so I park in the – they found it very strange that I didn't want a room. I'd be like, no, no, I don't want a room. You know, that's why I bought a man, because I don't want to get into anybody's (laughs) room, but get – please or whatever have you So, and not that i they you know not all of them were of that quality but some of them i'm not sure so I, i would have a hard time saying no no i just want to park and i'll eat a meal so very often what i did was i parked in the in in their yard their parking bay next to the building wherever was convenient and i would buy some drinks or i would buy a meal and then they would they'd be like that's fine I parked at a lot of missions. The Catholic mm-hmm. Church did a fantastic job with missions in 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 West Africa. Um, so most of those places you can park at without any problems, and and very few the, 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 the very few of the churches will ask you for anything. And sometimes they'll just ask you for a donation or whatever you. In Gabon, I parked at a prefecture, uh, uh, sort of like a council building in the middle of nowhere, and I just wow. saw this beautiful building and i bought and it had a big shady tree next to it and i thought shh, that looks like a perfect parking spot for the night and it's beautiful and quiet <laughs> uh so i just went in and i said you know my very bad french can i park here and they were like park here i was like yeah just just to park here just to spend the night and i'll be gone in the morning and they're like sure whatever so you know i, I used to just ask sometimes i, I parked um I wild parked sometimes, not always. You know, I wasn't in a four by four. It was very difficult to get off the road. Um, I also made contacts with people through the through online, through Facebook groups and, and WhatsApp groups. Um, there's a fantastic Facebook gr- group called West Africa Travelers, who were tremendously helpful. So yeah, so I, I stayed at a, a wide variety of places. Campsites, not really the thing. Water, you, you know, it is Africa, but we, there is water. <laughs> You can buy bottled water. As much as I hated buying bottled water, I bought bottled water. And I also bought frozen bottle. I don't know how they managed to freeze it, but a lot of the a lot of the places um had ice water, and it's so incredibly hot in West Africa. It was a a lifeline to be able to find ice water. So water was was never a problem. And I used to find that if I if I gave the plastic bottles back to you know, to youngsters and that sort of thing, they they would actually ask for them if they saw me with an empty bottle they would actually ask them because they can carry their water in those bottles um, and then I just had to hope that at some stage they didn't end up in the ocean but they do want those bottles and I figured that that at least was reused but campsites not really
1: so it's, it's amazing to hear that you did kind of wild camping in West Africa and even just like rocking up and asking for places to stay like that I I find that intimidating, and I'm sure a lot of people listening would find that intimidating. Even if you've got permission, you don't necessarily know the area, you don't know who's in the area. We've got a question here from Eilish, who asks, how did you manage with feeling safe, especially at night?
2: Okay, so
0: I have to say that, I, and I'm sorry to the Spanish people, but I felt less safe in Spain than I did in Africa. Wow. So there's this overwhelming impression that Africa is the most dangerous place on the planet to be. It is like everywhere else. You you know, you don't behave foolishly. You don't, you know, you don't leave all your stuff outside or whatever. Because, you, you know, people think, well, they don't need it. It must be lying outside. Mm-hmm. I had <laughs> no problem with safety at all. Um, but then, you know, I, I, I did wild camp. But, I, you know, I wild camped if I knew... I, again, trusted my instincts. I am African, you know, so I, I have a, a, probably a, a better instinct than most. But once you're on the road, you'll find But mm-hmm. the African people are immensely friendly, immensely helpful. In the book, you'll you'll see that I, I talk about Africa roadside assistance. You know, sometimes you get it, sometimes you give it. And, you know, within 20 minutes of ever getting stuck anywhere, there was somebody to help me. And I would give them some money. You know, I didn't have a lot of money, but I would give them some money because it was the best thing that I could give them. And they were always grateful, and I was immensely grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Africa is just very friendly. You know, really and truly. If you if you don't come, it's like anyway. You know, if somebody came to to you and they were and they were rude and aggressive, you would be like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Let me let me show you rude and aggressive. You know. If you, I, I always greeted people. You know, African people love the the cultural thing of hello, how are you, how's your day, where are you going, what's happening, shake my hand. You know, that's what, you know, you you've got to take time in Africa. If you're traveling through Africa, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. You know, if you're mm-hmm. in a rush to go somewhere, I have to tell you, stay in Europe, go to America, <laughs> don't come to Africa. But as far as safety was concerned, like I said, you know, my van is built so that I can just go from the front, from the back into the front, and from the front into the back. there, there, there I don't sometimes have to get out of my van. You know, I can just park, get on with stuff. That's it. Um, so that was my number one thing. I also had, uh, because my car was broken into in Barcelona, I put alarms on the windows. So if I really felt that there was a problem, I put, I would engage, um, I think they're called Rottweiler alarms. Um, I would engage the alarms on the windows. People say, men especially, did you have a gun? You must take a gun. I'm <laughs> oh, um, hello. How many borders do I have to go through with a gun? No, I didn't take a gun. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a weapon. I didn't have anything, but I I did have my wits about me. You know, I wasn't stupid, mm. and I didn't. And I always drove with my doors locked. No questions asked. Wherever I am in the world, I drive with my doors locked. End of story. But no, say you know. Oh, the African people are amazing. I walked in the streets of Africa, you know, in towns, in villages. in Sometimes I was the only white person for heaven only knows how, how far. And I never had a, a stitch of problems with anybody. People are people all over the world. It doesn't matter where you are. There are nice people, there are there are idiots, and there are nasty people. And what you need to do is just most of the people in the world are good people. Just treat them well. Treat them nicely and, you know, stay away from the idiots as fast as possible.
2: -hmm. Yeah, I remember in your book when you were describing the the border controls and how sometimes, you know, there there is that expectation where that bribery comes into it that you would just act the fool and and be like that you didn't understand what they were saying. And it meant that you didn't actually have to pay (laughs) one single bribe in Africa. And we all cheered. I didn't knowingly pay a bribe. There were a couple
0: of instances where I thought. I think I got conned, but, you know, you just have to be, <laughs> be smart and sharp. But I didn't pay a break because they would be like, what have you got for me? I'd be like, oh, you want some more papers? Uh, what, I don't know what papers you want. And of course, the language was a, a good thing because my French is appalling. Um, and, and they would be asking me stuff in French and I'd be like, oh, uh, uh, uh um, uh, papers. Uh, uh, I don't understand what you want, you know? So, and eventually they'd get so fed up with me. They'd just say, oh, for God's sake, just go, you know, just <laughs> this woman is obviously an idiot. I'd be like, thank you very much. Bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it sounds like you've got a nice combination of playing kind of the ignorance and playing the confidence when you need it to down to a fine art so that you can use that to your to your advantage whenever you need it, which sounds like good tactics to be honest.
0: I do crazy old woman really well. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We just want to quickly interrupt to say that if you're enjoying this podcast or find it valuable, then you can help support it by leaving us a rating or a review. Or alternatively, by becoming a Patreon. At the moment, this podcast is not sponsored or supported by advertisements, so it is through the monthly support of our wonderful Patreons that we can continue. You can join our Patreon community at patreon.com forward slash jits into the sunset also linked in our show notes, and choose to pledge any amount from as little as one pound, euro or dollar a month. Every little helps. As well as supporting the podcast, you'll be given access to exclusive content such as behind the scenes, our latest updates and deleted scenes from our travel films.
1: So just sticking with the theme here of like fear and and danger, Uh, we have a question from Lucy from at living the Lucy life. And she has asked, were you ever nervous sleeping in your van with the potential for wild animals to be just outside your door? And funnily enough, on your Instagram, I saw an Instagram post, which made me laugh and made me scared for you. I only laugh, I think, because I can look at it retrospectively.
2: And you're alive now.
1: I, I know now that you're okay, but at the time I'd have been very scared reading this post. Uh, that The post was, so it was a photo of a scorpion and the caption read, help, I've just got stung by this scorpion. There is no emergency here. Anyone know how bad this scorpion is? Sting hurts like hell. It's my first one ever. If I saw that coming up and realized you'd only posted that a couple of minutes ago, I'd have been very worried for you. And looking at the comments, actually, it was quite worrying. Tanya, have you got some of the comments there?
2: Yeah, I'm just looking at this. uh, I'm just looking at them now because it was absolutely hilarious. So... You had, you had a, a wonderful friend who messaged you very concerned and was telling you, I, hopefully she was trying not to panic you, but she was saying like, quick, get yourself to emergency services. And uh, you had to respond saying, I'm in the sticks. So medical attention is a challenge. But I'm still alive.
1: You're in the sticks. (laughs) That post for me, when I stumble across that, that just like wow, that is some intense van life. So yeah, how was that, and how was just like dealing with those kinds of things in general? Uh,
0: This this it was a scorpion. You know, uh, it's it's Africa. You know, it's like everywhere else in the world, except that there was a scorpion. Uh, It got (laughs) in my shoe, and uh, I put my foot in the shoe, and I should have checked, and it was dark. and uh, and I got stung. It was incredibly painful. Here's the tip with if you get stung by a scorpion. Provided it's not one of the scorpions that's going to kill you, the, the sting is just unbearable. Hot water, it, the same with any sting, uh, any bite or sting. You know, I do it with mosquito bites. So the best tip I got was to do the same thing with this, is take water as hot as you can possibly bear mm. and apply it to, to the area where you've, where you've been stung. And it, what it does, the hot water neutralizes the protein, and then it, you recover a lot faster. Wow. But it, it's it's an incredibly painful thing. As for... I I, I I sincerely regret to inform you that most of West Africa was devoid of wildlife. Well, apart from elephants that were, I don't know, 20 meters away from my van. Um, but they, oh. you know, in Botswana, they, they've become quite accustomed to, to vehicles. There are just so a few animals left i've never had any next to my van that would be that would be thrilling that would be wonderful europeans are also scared of animals they're scared of you you know just act cautiously behave you know don't don't piss elephants off you know i see this all the time on the internet is like people wanting to get past an elephant because he's too slow getting off the road this is not the m6 or the m25 you know this is <laughs> this is africa let's The elephant do its thing at its own pace and wait (laughs) until it's off the road and then you can pass it safely but how many times you see elephants toppling over cars or sitting on them whatever you know i'd be the same if i was an elephant and somebody tried to get past me in a rush i'd sit on the van (laughs) as well
1: i saw a video the other day i'm not sure where it was but this, this elephant had effectively learnt to take advantage of its right of way and walk into the road as a truck was coming along with loads of sugarcane in the back. So it would stand in front of the truck so the truck would stop. Then it would just sneak some sugarcane off as the truck was trying to swerve the elephant and, and carry on, on along the road. So they, yeah, they're pretty smart. Elephants
0: <laughs> are incredible creatures. They are so beautiful. They are so smart. They have such an incredible social structure. I despise people who want to hunt them, but mm. they are. They're incredibly smart. Animals as, as on
2: the whole. I mean, my cats are smart, you know, smarter than some people I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to now talk to you about the things that you've learned about yourself. So thinking back on the person that you were, back in the workshop, kicking things, crying, trying to build out a van, how are you different from her now and what would you say to her? Well, I think I think
0: the one thing that I I know is that I've always been this person. I just I just cluttered up my my persona with a lot of can I say bullshit? Absolutely. It, you know? <laughs> with a lot of nonsense. Um, so you know we tend to do things that we think will you know people will like me more if I'm like this. And I mean I tried that. That didn't work very well. Uh, you know, uh, adjusting myself to, to, to other things and other, you know, instead of just being me, Mm -hmm. giving myself permission to totally be me. uh, I I left, I, I decided that that was what I was going to do. I, I, I am fortunate that my father gave me great resilience and a forward thinking attitude. Uh, My mother, my mother was very much about, okay, so we can't fix this. So let's see what we can do to get through this, you know, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I've always been this person. I'm just now more that person. I'm just now, I think, fully wearing my power shoes. What I learned was that I can, I can cope. I can handle pretty much any situation that life throws at me. I, I may not do it very well always, but I, I can handle it, and I can get through it, and I can survive it. I learned that I'm, I'm very quick thinking on my feet. I'm very blessed that way. So I can see, I can see a scenario, and I can like, yeah, oh okay, this is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just comes to me. You know, sometimes, like, I don't know, my guardian angels whispering in my ear saying, this is what you should say. <laughs> but I, I I, learned that I'm stronger than I thought I was. I'm more capable than I thought I was. So, you know, part of why women don't leave unhappy relationships is because they don't think they can do it on their own. And I didn't somehow, even though my, my, my ex-husband really wasn't adding a hell of a lot of value to my life, in any way whatsoever, I still felt like, you know, like there was somebody to lean on, but actually he was doing all the leaning and I was doing all the supporting. So now I, I didn't have anybody to support anymore. I could just support myself. And, and I learned that, that, that I'm pretty good at that. I'm, I'm okay with that. The journey put me fully into my life. Yeah, corny, Uh, I bloomed, (laughs) I (laughs) blossomed.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's so inspirational and also reminds me of what you wrote at the beginning of your book, which was that if an ordinary 60-year-old woman could achieve something extraordinary then so can anyone that's reading your book or listening to this podcast and i think that that is incredibly powerful a really powerful message and uh, that you are putting out there not just here in this conversation but through through your book
0: thank you that was that's literally what i wanted to do i you know i i even i look back on what i did and and i'm sometimes i even like what on earth was i thinking <laughs> what a- on earth possessed me to go and do that but I regret not one moment of it (laughs) the subtitle of my book is the adventure of a lifetime and and I would like to still do East Africa um and I hope I will get the opportunity to do that but this was so far away and so far removed from from (laughs) my life as it was that it was literally the adventure of a lifetime and it, it was such a personal journey, such a, an incredible overlanding journey. While I was going through these countries and I was meeting other overlanders and things like that, I had overlanders much more experienced than I was. I was a, a complete greenhorn newbie saying, you do know that this is the most difficult overlanding route, considered the most difficult overlanding route in the world. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> now you tell me, you know, I'm, I'm here in Pinin sort of thing, you know. Um <laughs> I really had no comprehension of what I was facing. And sometimes that's a good thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you because know, people say, would you do it again? Uh, no, because I've already done it and I'm like that, you know, I don't really want to do it again. And, and if I had known the challenges, I probably would have done it, but I would have done it with more trepidation. You know, mm-hmm. instead I faced every day as it came. I I'd, I'd lived in every moment. I, people said, how did you manage to recall the book without having no, you know, sort of journaled or diary I said because I lived every moment so intensely that it was it was like it was embedded in my mind in 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 a thread that it was quite easy to write down it was just such an awesome journey and I, I met when I when I was doing my book tour in South Africa I met so many women who were saying to me oh oh this is something I've always dreamt of doing and I go well why haven't you done it because I never dreamt of doing this I never had an idea that said, "Oh, why? Oh, I would love to overland Africa someday." No, never, ever. <laughs> you know, so I, I find it hard to to understand that people who always wanted to do that, well, ditch, ditch the stuff in your life and the and the nonsense that you're putting up with, and go do it. Because I tell you what, life is short, and you don't know when your last day is. And I can honestly say that if i was gone tomorrow i have lived my life now in the last 5 years more intensely than i i have done for many years before then and i and i regret not one moment of it um, and i think that this is the one thing that i want to to say to you know it, it's it's it sounds trite if you're in a challenging life and it's uh, you know people say yes but in 3 years time you'll be you'll you'll be glad you did it a lot, a lot of times people can't see into those three years, beyond those three years. And I certainly couldn't. I didn't know what lay ahead of me. I had no idea. Mm. And I can tell you now, there isn't a moment when I go, gee, maybe I should have stayed in my marriage. Maybe I should have stayed in Europe. There isn't a moment there's no there's no time there's there's just too many things that i'm doing too many things that i'm chasing down too many you know new people i'm meeting and 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 things like there's not a moment i spend regretting having left that life behind and i know this from other people who have done the same if you give yourself the opportunity to you can transform your life you just have to be bold enough to let go of what you've got right now
1: Hmm. Wow, I, that was an absolutely beautiful answer. And I think you're, you're so right about all of that. And, and but it does take a lot of courage. So you have shown a lot of courage in doing what you've done, because the easy option would have been to stay where you are. Um, especially I think we haven't really spoken about this at all, actually, but especially considering your age, because I think once people see someone, you know, approaching 60, you kind of think, okay, cool, That that's kind of like you know, life is over. That's what the the narrative is from our society, from our culture. And I actually saw something really interesting the other day. I, I only read the headline, but it was a headline of The Economist. And it said, babies being born today are likely to live to 100. And it was questioning what will society look like for them? Do we have to rethink education? Do we have to rethink retirement? And I was like, well, hang on a minute, we already need to rethink that because there are people like you, like my mom, anyone who listens will know the story of my mom, who are into their 60s, still very able-bodied, fit, healthy, want to go off and like their life is st- still has so much value and opportunity for so much richness. But you're told that once you're in your sixties and your seventies, yeah. then it's kind of like slow down, stop, stop living life and relax. And I think that's right. it's something that our society hasn't adjusted for the fact that you know people are living longer lives these days and healthier lives up into their seventies, eighties. And yeah, I think it's amazing. You said that you um, you bloomed in your sixties. <laughs>
0: yeah, my, when I was I turned sixty, I, you know, I, my life just I, when I was in Europe, I, I became invisible. After I turned fifty, I became invisible. Um, and I'm hmm. I'm not generally a person who's invisible, but I became invisible. Uh, people didn't listen to me. People didn't look at me. People, you know, I just didn't exist for for people. I I also became ever increasingly aware that being old it was like people gave themselves permission to to you know use those little scooter carts you know and I understand that people have disabilities but it was like I see so many people with disabilities and so many people because people just don't walk people just don't do things you know they the sedentary lifestyle is killing us and I just thought to myself I don't want to get to 70 and be housebound or be limited in in, in what I could do. Sure, I'm limited by what I can do because my age, you know, but um listen, I'm tiling my floor. It's killing me, but I'm still tiling my floor in my house. <laughs> I also didn't want to get to, you know, then my deathbed. So, you know, that old thing, you know, what what happens on your deathbed, what do you regret? I didn't want to get on my deathbed and go, oh, I really regret never having done never having filled my p- potential, never having found my true purpose, never having done something awesome. And I didn't want that to happen. And and so that also motivated me to to, you know, I was 58 when I came to this conclusion. I was like, something's got to change. You know, I I don't remember who said it. I think think it was Einstein. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, that's the definition of insanity. You know? So I I was doing the the same thing over and over again, and I was expecting a different result and I wasn't getting it. And I was like, well, hey, well, why am I not getting a different result? Well, you're not getting a different result because you've got to do something different. And I did. I, I did something radically different. And I'm not saying that everybody has to ditch everything that they have, and ditch their husband, and ditch, <laughs> and, and 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 ditch the country they're living in, and, and whatever you, and leave, and you know traverse Africa. No, you don't have to do that. But you do have to do something different if you want a different outcome, or a different result. You do have to do something different. If there's one thing I truly wish is that more people, especially women, could see their value. And would be bold enough and daring enough to actually understand that there's an amazing life waiting for them.
1: Mm. Wow. Well, Dot, you have so much wisdom to share and I wish we could keep bringing it out of you. But I'm aware of your time. I know you've got an appointment or, or a meeting that you have to get to. So we're in our last minute of having you but could you just quickly talk a little bit about what you're doing in africa now and a little bit about the projects that you're working on and your non-for-profit and and the support work that you do and how people listening can get involved and help you
2: so unfortunately we ran into some tech difficulties that
1: is yeah that is exactly what happens when we're recording we were in bali and we were in indonesia was in Africa, and yeah, the internet just gave up on us, unfortunately. But that is the challenges of recording remote podcasts from all different corners in the world.
2: And we just wanted to answer the question for her. So if you didn't think that Dot accomplished enough, she also set up her own nonprofit to help young girls education in Zimbabwe. So if you head over to her website, GoingHometoafrica.com, you'll be able to find more detail about that and how you can support her.
1: And if you're interested at all in her book, which we can recommend, then that is linked in the show notes. and That's available worldwide on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, and oh she did also give us a code emoji
2: yeah and I love this because it was hilarious so her code emoji that she would like you to send her over Instagram and you can also send it to us to show that you have gotten this far into the conversation that you've sat down and you've gotten to know her is the shocked emoji the
1: shocked face the blue kind of shocked face the one that looks a bit like the scream painting
2: and the reason is because she can't even believe she did the trip
1: (laughs) (laughs) so good Um, yeah so thank you so much for listening guys we hope you enjoyed this episode and as ever we will see you next week with another brilliant guest
2: yeah we're very excited bye 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 Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast or have found it helpful in any way and can think of someone else who would appreciate it too, then please do share it with them. Not only does it help get our podcast out to more people, but you never know that someone might need to hear this conversation. Other ways to support the podcast are in the show notes. This podcast isn't sponsored, so anything you can do to help it grow helps us continue to have conversations just like this one with fantastic guests.